Well, good morning, Life Fellowship. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 this morning. Uh, many of you might know this already, but I'm going back to school to get my master's in counseling psychology, and, and I'm almost done with all my classwork. I begin my clinical hours in January, and uh, I've always loved the study of this science, and, uh, and in, in my study over the last couple of years, I've discovered so many interesting things about how this issue of mental health correlates with our spiritual realm. And so one of the things that I, I found myself doing is realizing how many times people talk about their struggle with anxiety. And so in my study, it was one of the big things that people said they, they dealt with. And, and as you know, the Word of God talks about this. So I remember a number of months ago, as I was thinking about what I was going to do, I got invited to speak at a a youth camp this past summer up in Michigan, and so I prepared a sermon series, four-part series on anxiety for these young people. And uh, so I get up there, I preach my first sermon, and afterwards, you know, a lot of kids come up to me, talking to me, telling me thank you. But one young person in particular, a young lady, uh, came up to me with just tears welled up in her eyes, and um, she just is like, I, I need to talk to you. And so I, you know, kind of pulled her aside with my wife, and and she just had all these questions. She had uh, told me that she had been hospitalized multiple times over the past year because of this issue of anxiety. It just becoming an overwhelming issue in her life. And, and she had so many questions. And one of the things that I, I couldn't answer all the questions she had in that moment, but that snapshot moment reminded me that this is an issue that is overwhelming. And so many of you, I'm sure, that are out there, all of us know at some level uh, that, that anxiety is, is there and, it, and we struggle with it. Maybe, maybe some of you have had issues of even hospitalization. And maybe some of you just have maybe a more minor symptoms of, man, this is keeping me up at night. But the reality is this is a big issue. This is the number one issue that people seek mental health professional, uh, professionals to meet with, the issue of anxiety. Uh, they say at some point in their life, all adults, 40, 41% of adults will have some level of, of severe anxiety in their life that will affect how they live. And that we all know this, this is an epidemic amongst young people that, that as, as many as maybe 47% of young people, they say, are battling with bouts of severe anxiety. And I was even listening to some podcasts and doing some reading for my classwork over this past week that... Uh, they, were, they were talking about this issue of uh, mental health crisis and how you'll see something very interesting, that 20 years ago, you see a, sh a sharp decline over the last 20 years, 40 million people have left organized religion and church attendance. And there's a correlation between the amount of people that have walked away from church and walked away from religion and, and seeing the spike in mental health issues in our country. It is a fascinating correlation. Again, correlation doesn't mean causation, but there you have to take up. This is what secular minds are saying. It wasn't church people. It wasn't Christians. They're saying there may be something here that the less religious we are, the less spiritual we are, the more mental health issues that we have. And so the question I want to introduce to you this morning is a question that I have wrestled with and maybe you have wrestled with because when the world in which we live in, when you hear about these things, uh, whether it's the studies I'm in, whether it's podcasts, you watch television, here's the question I have for you as a as a person who maybe is here today and maybe have a high value of God and for the word of God, maybe you're a follower of Jesus, 
But here's the question I want you to wrestle with. Is anxiety a mental health issue or is it a spiritual issue? Is, mental, is, is anxiety a mental health issue or is it a spiritual issue? Now, this, one of the things that we're going to be doing with this series is we're going to have some podcasts that really complement the, the Sunday morning teaching. For the Sunday morning teaching, what we're doing is we're spending three Sundays in a row talking about passages of Scripture that deal with anxiety. And then we're doing three passages of Scripture that talk about joy. And so that's what we're doing on Sunday mornings, really diving into the Word of God. And, but what we're going to do with the podcast is go into a little bit more of a mental health issues, uh, the science of, of psychology that's out there that shows that the Word of God is true. And I can't wait to share with you the things that I've learned. So this, this next week on Tuesday, we're going to dive into this question of is, is anxiety a mental health issue or is it a spiritual issue? And in short answer, the answer is yes. Okay? It's yes. There are things that feel very mental health issue, but, but here's, let, let's just kind of take a step back and let's just be real. If you broke your leg this week, let's say you just had an accident, you broke your leg, okay? Um, very physical problem. But I promise you this, it would have implications on your spiritual life. Because you'd be wondering, God, what's going on here? Why are you letting this happen? And, and so a lot of times we, because of the anti-God and the pro-science culture we live in, many times we have made a false dichotomy because of what something happens in our physical bodies is not spiritual. And here's what the Word of God teaches. Everything is spiritual. God is connected to, God is, God is ultimately connected and important to everything in our life. And so we can't just say, well, this is purely mental health. This is purely spiritual. It's both. And you've got to learn what, what the Word of God says. And, and, and that's what we're going to do here is take the authority of God's Word and say, how does the Word of God speak to my issues of anxiety that I feel today? Now, I, I want to be very empathetic because many, many of you, even walking in here, are skeptical. I had a, someone in between the services come to me after the first service and said, I got to be honest with you, I was skeptical this morning because of the issues I've had. And many times when you share with, with others, hey, I have a real mental health issue that's going on, you might hear some spiritual platitudes of, well, just pray. Now, is prayer important? Absolutely. We're going to talk about how to pray when we have these issues. But, but maybe you've been given some simple answers to some very complex issues, and maybe you just have that sense of, man, I, I, I have some skepticism this morning. Let me just say this. We're not going to answer everything today. We're going to answer some, some of the major questions that all of us should be asking, but, but we're not going to answer everything. We're gonna, this is going to be a process over the next six weeks. I want you to just be patient. If, if you've got an issue and you've got a question that we don't deal with, just hold on. It might be in a podcast. It might be in a later sermon, but, but we're not going to answer everything this morning, okay? That's the first thing. But, but I think there's in order for us to understand anxiety, we have to understand how we use the words describe feelings. The word anxiety comes from the old Latin word anxietas, which literally means to choke or to strangle. Isn't that interesting? Even the word worry, which is another expression of anxiety, it comes from the old English word, which means to choke or to strangle. So as you can see, there's this sense of when we are feeling anxious or we have anxious feelings, feelings of stress, 
feeling overwhelmed, that it feels like the world is closing in on you. It feels like it becomes overwhelming to us in life. Many years ago, I had a friend who was going through some, some very, uh, uh, just came out of nowhere. They, they were someone that life was good, there was nothing wrong, but all of a sudden they start having these panic attacks. And if you've never had a panic attack, it, I mean, they are, it's like, whoa, what just happened right, right, right now? And so they were starting having these panic attacks in, in public places. And, and what happened was they started pulling back in their life. They started saying, well, I'm not going to go here. I'm not going to go there because what if I have a panic attack in these places? And so they started kind of pulling back. And then it started affecting their, their decision. Like, I, I don't even know if I want to drive to certain places because if I drive in, what was happening was the more that these panic attacks, the more that the stress and anxiety started coming into their life, what did it do? It was, choking, it was choking out the, the joy and the freedom that they were supposed to have in life. And it wasn't until this person was like, you know what, I've got to figure this out. And they went on a journey with God and his word to confront the issues. And they were able to overcome the panic attacks in their life by simply reading God's words, praying, memorizing scripture. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying like, well, hey, if you've got panic attacks, you know, it's as simple, easy. It is hard. It's difficult. It's a process. And one, what might work for one person might not work for another person. But I want to make this point out, and that is this, that when we allow anxiety overtake us, it chokes us out in life. But God has answers. God has answers for you this morning. And, and he has answers that are bigger than what anybody else. And listen, I've, I've studied, I've been in this mental health field for, for two years just reading books, discovering the latest science, reading research. And I'm just telling, I'm here to tell you this morning confidently that God has the answers you're looking for. I promise you that. I promise you that. And so, so I want us to look at this passage in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6 is, is Jesus' Jesus's Sermon on the Mount. You know, we had a series a number of years ago that took, looked at the Beatitudes of, of this passage. And, and uh, so Jesus is talking about all kinds of things, what it means to really be, you know, to, to be a kingdom citizen, uh, to be a follower of Jesus. This is what it looks like. And so he's talking about prayer and he's talking about fasting and he's talking about, you know, money and he's talking about what to do with, uh, you know, retaliation and oaths and false teachers. And then he gets in the middle of this in, in chapter six, there's this section on anxiety or, or, or anxiousness. Do not be anxious. And, and, and here's, here's, what I, here's the big idea that if I could, if I could pull back what, we just, what Melanie read this morning, the main idea from this passage this morning is this. When, when anxiety is activated, when anxiety is activated inside of you, you can act because God is active. When anxiety is activated, you can act because God is active. You know, behind me, we have this mural to symbolize this, this series. Because when you are fe having feelings of anxiousness and anxiety and stress and worry, this is a great picture. This is a great image of what we feel. The world feels cloudy. It feels dead. It feels like there, there's, there's not a lot of light. There's not a lot of hope. And yet over here, when, when we're in joy, we have the sense of, Man, I can see clearly. I see the path ahead. I, I see the beauty around me. And, and what we need to understand is this is where God wants us to be. This is where the enemy wants us to be. And many times this becomes our norm. And we feel stuck. We feel st like, like this, is, this has been your life the last few weeks. 
this has been your life the last few months, maybe even years. And, you, and you've started building shack, a shack in that world because you don't know how to think outside of that way of thinking. And what I want to give you is what, what Jesus talks about in this passage is that when anxiety is active in you, you have decisions to make. You can act because God is active. So let's look at what Jesus says in verse 25. It says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? All right, so the first thing that, that we need to understand is what activates, we need to understand what activates anxiety. When you have these feelings of worry and stress that overtake you, start choking you, what is going on? What's triggering that? Well, Jesus, here's one I love. I mentioned this, that what I love about this passage is that Jesus, in this most famous sermon, decides to talk about anxiety. You know why? Because he knows this is a big deal. In fact, it's such a big deal. God, Jesus knows it's a big deal that in all the different sections, if you have a, a Bible that has kind of broken down the sections of the Sermon on the Mount in here from chapters 5 to chapter 7, Jesus uses more words in the section of anxiety, uh, anxiousness, than any other, other section. He talks about anxiousness more than prayer, more than fasting, more than retaliation. He spends over 200 words describing what we should do when we feel anxious. And you know what? That should make us feel pretty good. Because you know what? Jesus understands the struggle. He understands what you're going through. And so he talks about it here. And when he talks about anxiety, he talks about these things that can trigger it. What does he say? Don't be anxious about, about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, or what you're going to wear. Now, when you read that, I'm not sure what your first impression was, but when I, the first time I read that, I'm thinking, okay, um, I've never, I'm just going to be honest with you. By God's grace and God's goodness, I've never had to worry about these things. Ever. I've always, God's always provided food for me. I've never wondered if I'm going to have a meal. I've never wondered if I'm going to have enough clothes. I've never worried about shelter. God's always taken care of that. We are very, now some of you may have had some of these experiences. Just because you live in America doesn't mean that you're immune from this. I've had friends that could say, yeah, I've lived through this. But by and large, we are very blessed as Americans to know that when Jesus, remember in Jesus' prayer uh, earlier in the sermon, that when he says, give us this day our daily bread, how many of you are ever worried about you know, eating today? Most of us don't because we have refrigerators, we've got grocery stores, we've got, plate, we've got cupboards full of food. And so what is, you might be thinking, okay, what is Jesus talking about here? Maybe this doesn't apply to me. Well, first of all, we have to recognize these are big issues. Shelter, food, clothing, these are the most basic fundamental needs that we have as human beings. And in that culture and in that time, they didn't have the food security that we have today. They didn't live in a wealthy culture like we, we live in today. They, they, they were food and their clothing and their shelter depended upon, um, was an army going to raid me? Or we're going to raid our community. What was, if there was enough, if there was enough rain or sun or there was, if there was locusts or if there was pestilence, that, that the food supply could be, could be threatened at the, at the slightest thing. 
that these are issues that they dealt with on a day-to-day basis. And so even you might be like, hey, I'm not dealing with this thing. What do these issues, what do this food and clothing, and what do they represent? And this is what Jesus is talking about. Yes, these are big things. But what Jesus is really talking about, you might not worry about food or clothing, but what, what, these, what food and clothing represent is that these are all things that you cannot control. That this anxiety, what triggers anxiety many times in us is that there are outcomes that we all want. There are outcomes that we desire. There are outcomes that we expect. And so when we think about our life and we're thinking, okay, here's my life. I, I, I have an idea of how I want my life to, to be and what I envision it. And when that, when that vision or that expectation or when that desire comes under threat that because I cannot control the outcome of this issue that I care about, man, th- then I'm in trouble. Then I'm in trouble. And that's exactly what Jesus is talking about. That He says when you start caring about these things, and you start getting anxious, you don't have to be that way. You, but you've got to understand what triggers your anxiety. You've got to understand what, what's the thing that, 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 that triggers that. And here's, here's this word uh, in the Greek simply means to, to be troubled with your cares. That's what this word means, anxiety. And it's in other parts in the New Testament. We're going to be reading about it later on in, 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 in the following weeks. But when I think about that, there is a difference between caring, caring about something and carrying something, right? You can care about something, but you don't carry it. And this is exactly what happens. What this word anxiety means that we we're carrying something. In fact, here's the definition for anxiety that I've come up with that I believe is very biblical. It's anxiety happens when you are carrying something you can't control. When you carry something you can't control, you start getting anxious about it. You know, this past week, uh, Pastor Trey and his wife Faith had a new baby boy. We celebrate, we celebrate the, the, the good news of a, a, another life here in our church. And, and, um, but, you know, whenever new babies come in the scene, it makes you remember the, your own. For me, it makes me remember the times when we had a newborn. And we just celebrated my oldest 22nd birthday this past week. And he's not a baby anymore. But I remember, I remember driving home with our son. And I'm, I'm like looking at Liz and I'm like, are they going to really let us leave the hospital right now? Like, should they send somebody with us? Like, we don't know what we're doing. And I just this feeling of like, I, I, don't, I, I don't know. And, and I remember going to bed that night and just those first few months. And I remember... All these fears start popping up in my mind, in my heart. You know, like, like I, I've heard about kids dying in the middle of the night, you know, SIDS, sudden infant death syndrome. And I start thinking about that. And I would get up from my bed and I'd go check on Jade, make sure he's still breathing. I'd literally put my hand, like, is he breathing? Right? Because I, I don't want to wake up and see him dead. And then I'm laying in bed at night. I'm just thinking, okay, well, you know, he's going to, as he gets older, you know, is he, is he going to be a weird kid or is he going to be normal? You know, I, I, want, I want him to have friends. He's going to have good friends. I mean, what kind of school are we going to do? Are we going to do, you know, Christian school, public school, homeschool? What kind of schooling things are we going to do? And how many kids should we have? And, and, and I've got to pay for college, you know, expensive colleges. Now, this is 22 years ago. Uh, college, I'm, and I'm a youth pastor. I can't afford college. 
And then what if he goes off to college and he loses his faith? Oh, man, I've got to make sure I, I teach him. And what if he comes home with a loser girlfriend? And I'm laying up, I'm just sweating at night. The kid is two weeks old, and I'm like, I just, we should not have had children. Why did we have children? This is horrible. See, anything that is outside of our control, and, and, and the kid's issue can be a big thing. Maybe there's a new, you've hit a new station in life. Maybe you, there's something going on, whether you are single or single again, and, and all of a sudden, the, 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 the future looks like, God, are you going to take care of me? Maybe you got news this week from your job saying, hey, there's a, they're bringing in a consultant. You're like, oh, no. We know what that means, downsizing. There's all these things that can come into our life, and we are confronted with what, what you and I control. And so when we're faced with this, we've got to ask ourselves, hey, I, I, I realize the only thing I can control, the only thing you can control is your own response and your own beliefs, your actions, your beliefs, that's the only things you can control. You can't control. The last thing that Jesus says in this statement, therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day in its own trouble. So many times we're thinking about the future and, and we're projecting things that we're saying, I don't know how tomorrow's going to work out. I don't know how the future's going to work out. Will I have enough money to retire? What's going to happen to my kids? We can look at all these things in our life that fill us with worry and stress. And we've got to stop and say, listen, what I can control is my own attitude. What I can control is my own behavior. Because there's going to be so many things in life. The, the sooner you realize this, the, the easier life will get when you realize you cannot control other people. You can't control them. You can't control what people are going to say to you. You can't control how people are going to treat you. You can't control your kids. You can't control your boss. You are so limited on what you can control. But here's the good news. Who does have the outcomes under control? God does. And that's exactly what he lets us know in this next section. Let's look, in verse, look at verse 26. Jesus says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, can be, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They're neither, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your, listen to this, your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Circle, underline that phrase right there. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. See, once we understand what activates anxiety, we've got to discover how God is active. God is doing something in his past. What he's calling us to is he's calling us to see what God is doing. And that was one of the biggest aha moments when I was studying this in God's word, passage after passage after passage, 
We're going to look at this passage this week, Matthew chapter 6. Next week, we're looking at Philippians 4, that, the letter that Paul wrote to the Philippian church. And then 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter writes a letter to Christians. Je- Jesus, Paul, and Peter. That's a pretty good trifecta of, of people that talk about anxiety. And in every single one of those passages, when anxiety comes upon us as human beings, we've got to remember God's doing something. And every single passage, God's doing something differently to reassure our hearts and to give us confidence in saying, you don't have to stress out. You don't have to be worried. You don't have to feel anxiousness right now because I'm doing something. And what God wants us to understand is he's saying, I know. I know you. I know what you're going through. And, 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 you know, there's one of my favorite passages of Scripture is in Hebrews, when it says we don't have a high priest that can not sympathize with our weakness. That, that is one of the greatest phrases in all the Bible. You know what that means? That we have a God that doesn't just know the information about us, but he intimately knows the feelings of what we're going through. He, feel, he has felt what we have felt. So he knows He knows stress. He knows anxiety. And he's able to say, listen, I know. I know what you need. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is the story of Hagar. And in Genesis chapter 16, we preached on this a year ago when we did our Names of God series. But Hagar is this Egyptian slave girl that that has that Sarah and Abraham have picked up over their journeys, probably when they were down in Egypt. And, and Sarah, she can't get pregnant, so she has this idea, instead of us waiting on God, uh, why don't you marry my servant girl and we'll have a child through her, which is a horrible idea. And they do this. They, they decide to take matters in their own hands because God wasn't moving at the speed that, that they wanted God to do. So they took control of the situation and made matters worse. And so what happens? Abram marries Hagar. She gets impregnated. And immediately, Sarai develops jealousy, anger, bitterness, and starts abusing and mistreating Hagar so badly that Hagar runs away into the wilderness. She would rather die than be present where she's at. And in that moment of feeling alone, feeling overwhelmed, feeling like she wanted to die, God meets her. God meets her in the wilderness and says, Hagar, I see you. And I know what you're going through. I'm going to take care of you, but you need to go back. And in that moment, again, we have the first time that a human being in the Bible gives God a name. He says, you are El-Roi, the God who sees, because you've seen me. You see me. See, when we are overwhelmed with the stressors of life, we got to remember that God sees us and he knows us. God sees me, he knows me. God sees you, and he knows you. Now, we're gonna do something that's gonna help you to really remember this, okay? I want you to say those two phrases, God sees me and God knows me, okay? Ready? Let's say the first one, one, two, three. God sees me and God knows me. Let's do it again. God sees me, God knows me. Now, there's something that happens. Now, this is the science of our brains, how God has created us. When you make declaration statements that are true, it actually helps your mind to believe what you're saying. And so you can read this and be like, oh, 
that's an interesting theory. But you've got to start saying that out loud. The moment that stress, the moment that anxiety hits you, you've got to say, no, God, you see me, and God, you know me. Say it out loud. Speak it out loud. So that you are saying, this is truth. This is reality. God, I'm not alone. God knows what you're going through, and God knows how to help you. He doesn't just know the what. He knows the how. You know, going back to that, you know, the time of newborn babies. I'm not sure if you've ever went through this, dads. I mean, moms just have this amazing gift with children, and they just, you know, bond. And I remember coming home from work when Jaden, and whenever babies are that zero to three month stage, I'm kind of like, like I'm afraid they're so fragile. I'm like, okay, you know, when they hit three months, I'm like, okay, I feel pretty comfortable with them. But I remember those first few months, and Liz would be home all day with the baby, and she would, I would come home, and she's like, hey, I need to get out. I need to either go to the gym, and she would, she would do something, whether it was with a friend or go to the gym or even just go to the grocery store, but she's like, I got to get out. And so I would take Jaden or I would take Sage, and it was like the moment she walked out of that door, the baby was like, hey, my mom's not here. I'm going to wail like a siren until she walks back in that door. And I remember, I mean, it was like they, they just had the sixth sense and just screaming, yelling, crying. I'm just like, nothing's working. And, and I would call and like, when are you going to get back home? Because everything, I'm, I'm trying to do the bottle, I'm trying to do the padding, I'm trying to, I mean, I'm laying them down and do, I'm doing everything. I don't know what I'm doing. I felt overwhelmed. And, and in those, there's going to be times in life you just feel overwhelmed, like, this is going out of my work. This is going on my family. This is going, this is going on my, my health issues. This is going on my finances. And you just feel overwhelmed with these issues in life. And you've got to remember, God knows not just what you're going through. He knows how to help you. Jesus is the one that can walk in the door and say, I know exactly what to do. But, but you got to let me carry it. you got to give it over to me. Because you can't control this outcome, but I can. So trust me. And what we see, we've got to remember, and this is, he, he asked a single, he asked a great question. Look at the end of verse 26. Are you not of more value than they? If God feeds the birds and he clothes the flowers and the grass of the field, are you not more valuable than him? He's saying, don't you trust my love? Don't you trust that I'm going to take, I've taken care of so many things in your life. And and he's going to talk about this later on. But we've got to understand that when we are feeling overwhelmed with the stressors of life, God is not mute. God is not silent. God is not up there in heaven kind of like, well, you can figure it out. He's saying, no, no, I care about you. I know you. I see you, which means you can trust me. You can trust me with the outcome. Which leads us to our last point, that is, Act in response to God's activity. When anxiety is activated, we need to know how God is acting and how he's active so that we can act. That we, are, we need to understand that we don't have to be stuck over here. We don't have to be stuck in the darkness. We don't have to be stuck in the choking out of the feelings that we're having, feeling overwhelmed, saying, I can't handle this. I gotta do something. Referring back to my friend that I shared with you, in the, in the beginning of, of our talk that, you know, my friend got to the point where they were like, I, I can't live like this anymore. 
I've got to do something. Because many times when anxiety tells us, the narrative of anxiety makes us feel like this is, this is my life. This is just going to be my life. And, and we've got to, st- there, what the Bible makes clear is that we have decisions to make. And the first decision, I'm going to have five responses that God's word tells us we can do. Number one, believe that you have the ability to not be anxious. Believe that you have the ability to not be anxious. Look at the very first verse, verse 25. Jesus says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Skip down to verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious. Jesus, in those two phrases, those are, given, those are verbs in the imperative sense. What he's saying is, do not, you don't have to express the feelings of anxiety. You don't have to feel anxious. You don't have to do that. God, what I love about this is, God never commands you to do something that he will not equip you and empower you to do that thing. And so when God says, when Jesus says, don't be anxious, you know what that means? You and I have the ability to not be anxious. You've got to believe that. Because Jesus is saying, listen, if you really understand what I'm doing, you don't have to feel this way. So, so, but faith is what is that activity of saying, I'm going to start trusting in what I know to be true. I'm going to start trusting in what I know to be true. That's the first thing you got to believe. Number two, believe that God sees you and that he knows you. Believe that God sees you and that he knows you. When he says at the end of there, verse, uh, verse, verse 32, your heavenly father knows that you need them all. He knows what you need. Do you believe that God, do you believe that the God of the universe, do you believe that the God, do you believe that the God of the universe that created everything, Literally created everything. You believe that the God of the universe that has created everything, that has, that has created human beings and created, created this world and, and has, has given us his revelation. You believe that God has created everything and given us his revelation and given us his son who has conquered sin and death and every power in heaven, you know, under the earth, every spiritual force, every earthly domain. Do you believe that the God of the universe, who has created all things, who has given us Jesus, who has conquered sin and death, is not able to carry your problem? Wow, what kind of faith do you need to not trust God? See, we've got to start believing that God sees us and knows us. That's why he says, the end of verse the end of verse 30, look what it says in the end of verse 30. Oh, you of little faith. Oh, you of little faith. Now listen, I, I say that with incredible empathy because I'm, t- I'm here to tell you there are so many times that faith is very difficult. There are so many times that faith is not easy. I'm not saying it is. It, it is. There's some very difficult, it's so challenging to actually let God carry stuff that we have been used to holding on to for years, for decades. We've got to loosen our grip and say, all right, God, here you go. God sees us and knows us. And that leads us to number three. Yield the outcomes to God's control. Yield the outcomes to God's control. There are things in your life right now that you are saying, God, this uncertainty in my life is driving me nuts. 
And you've got to believe, again, the God of the universe who loves you, cares for you, has provided for you, that he's able to carry that and saying, God, whatever the outcome, you're good. Whatever the outcome, I'm going to trust in you. You know, again, there might be some things in your life, there might be news this week you got in your life that are saying, you know, financial news. Maybe you see your stress, your blood pressure go up and down depending on the market. Maybe your stress goes up and down depending on every time your kid calls you from college. You know, you, you, know, you drop them off. Some of you just dropped off your kids to college for the very first time or the second time or third time, whatever, and you're like, man, I mean, we're getting ready to drop our third child off to the third different place, and it doesn't get any easier because we're trusting, oh, God, you got to take care of my baby girl. It was different when I dropped off my boys. When I dropped off my boys, I'm like, don't screw up. <laughs> Dropping off my baby girl, that's hard. That's hard. It's not easy. But I've got to yield. I've got to say, God, you're in control. I can't. I cannot carry what's going to happen. I can pray and I can trust in you. Number four. See your cares and your stressors through the lens of God's presence and promises. See your cares and stressors through the lens of God's presence and promises. Now, here's what, here's what I think we, we do most of the time in life. Many times what we do is we let the, the stressors of our life, the things that cause our anxiety, we see God through our anxiety as opposed to seeing our anxiety through God. This is fundamental. The fundamental, one of the fundamental things that's going to help you overcome and to choose not to be anxious is for you to be able to see God first. Fill your mind with who God is first and then look at your problem. Because when you look at your problem without that lens of seeing God, you will feel overwhelmed. You know, in my, in my studies of, uh, in, in psychology, one of the things, one of the tools in in and activities you can help your clients do is this practice called reframing. Reframing is this practice when people come to see you and they've got a problem, they've got an issue, that they, you say, reframing is I want to help you see your problem or this predicament in a different perspective. So they're able to, instead of feeling discouraged, they can have hope. And, you know, that, that, that graphic we had to introduce uh, this series, you know, you see that cube and just turning from different sides. And so that's kind of what reframing is, is I'm going to look at this problem, I'm going to look at this issue, but I'm going to look at it from a different lens, through a more positive lens, more hopeful lens, so I can see it outside, see a big, the big picture, so to speak. And, and what I love about, again, what I love about when I'm learning this, I read that about reframing, I'm like, um, yeah, the Bible's been talking about doing that for 2,000 years. That's what the Bible teaches us to see things through the lens of God, through the lens of his power and through the lens of his love. And when we reframe our minds according to God's standard, when we renew our minds, right, that the Bible says in Romans 12, that we have the power to say, I'm going to look and think about this differently. And that leads us to number five. Seek the kingdom of God. Seek the kingdom of God. Man, I wish I had 30 more minutes. You know, there, there are times in, in the Bible, the Bible was not written for our American minds. 
Because many times the way that we want, when, when we have a problem, you know, we want the chat GPT solution. Quick, fast, easy, effective. Give it to me. I, I need it. That's not how God, that's not how God does it. One of the things that God does in his word throughout the Old and New Testament is when there are many times that someone will write something or someone will teach something, and the whole point of the saying is to go home and meditate on that. I think when this, this phrase, you know, he's talking about anxiety. You don't need to be anxious. God cares for you. God knows you. And then he drops this bomb. I mean, this is the last thing he says. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. It's like, whoa, what? What do you mean, seek first the kingdom? That is a big statement. We've heard, maybe you've heard that statement before. You know, people quote that statement. It's on our coffee mugs. We sing songs about seek first the kingdom of God. And it comes in the context of anxiety, anxiousness. What does this mean? And, and I would encourage you to go home this week and meditate on that. What does it mean to seek first the kingdom of God? Here's a couple things very quickly that I believe it does mean. It means this. The first thing it means is that in all of our problems and all of our issues, and these are big issues he's talking about, food, clothing, all right, shelter, the most basic common needs of our life, of our existence, that God in his goodness and God in his will sent Jesus to earth to take care of our greatest need. So when he says, seek first the kingdom of God, what Jesus is saying is, listen, there are bigger issues that you have than food, clothing, finances, children, job, career. Like, there's some bigger issues that you have to worry about. And they're kingdom issues. They're issues that, not, that, are, that are bigger than your, than your wardrobe. They're bigger than your next meal. They're bigger than, than the future of your children. They're issues of your soul. There's issues of sin and shame and death and eternity. And when Jesus seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, what he's telling us to do is get your eyes off the temporal problems and fix your eyes on the bigger problems. Because the bigger problems are this, your sinful separation from a holy God. But here's the good news. When you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, you know that Jesus did something about your greatest problems. He loved you enough. He cares for you enough. He knows you enough. He sees you enough to know that you cannot save yourself. And that's why he sent Jesus Christ, God in flesh, to take your place on the cross so that your greatest needs and your greatest problems in life could be taken by him and provide for you eternity, salvation, redemption, renewal, hope, heaven. This is what God wants to give to us. And if God has taken care of your biggest problems, he will take care of those smaller problems. He's proven himself. He's proven himself. The, the, the last thing I think this passage means is this. And this is, this is something that I have recognized over the last few decades, just as a pastor and as, as I've studied the mental health issue for years. Here's what I have recognized. The more we focus on our own mental health issues, the more mental health issues we have. Why is that? 
Why is it that the more we focus on our own personal mental health, the more issues we have? And here's what I believe God is reminding us. When we spend the bulk of our lives navel-gazing and worrying about our own problems and our own issues and my things and my stresses and my anxieties and me and me and me and my world, and does anyone understand what I'm going through today? And I've got to tweet and I've got to let everyone know, I've got this and 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 I've got this. Yeah, I'd be stressed out too. Break out of your me-centered life and start serving others. Start seeing what God's doing. Start hearing what other people are going through. You know, we've got to break out of this me-centered life that is so natural for our culture. So when Jesus seek first the kingdom, he's saying, start living your life where you're trying to find the joy, the passion, the answers in God and not yourself. That's, That's a little bit of the answer. There's more of it, but I want to encourage you Keep meditating on that this week. So, what do we need to do? Three things and then we're done. Number one, what outcome are you attempting to control that you have to trust God with? Maybe maybe a better way to say it is this. What are you carrying that God needs to carry? Some of you need to do this today. Okay, God, here's my kids. God, here's my... Here's my bank account. And whatever it is, God, here you go. Here you go. Stop carrying what you can't control. Number two, how will you activate faith in God's activity? You know, there's God, I'm just telling you right now, when you're anxious, God is moving. He's working. He's doing, he's wanting you to see what he's doing. That this is not your reality. That this is not what you see, but instead you see this. You see, you see clarity. You see the beauty. You see what God's doing. What are you going to do to activate that faith? And then lastly, how will you seek God's kingdom first today? How, how will you seek first the kingdom of God today? That's something I want you to meditate on because that's a big issue. And, and so we, we, we haven't answered all the questions with anxiety. We're going to answer more next week and the week after that. Listen to our podcast this week. You're going to give more information. But I want, you to, I want you to walk out these doors with a sense that God knows you, God sees you, that, that when, when anxiety is activated inside of you, you can act because God is active. You know, right now we're about to partake in communion in the Lord's Supper. And this is a, I think this is a wonderful time to just remember, to reflect upon what we've just heard. The provision of God's goodness, the provision of God's salvation to us should give us hope, should give us the answers, and should give us the peace that we know that when we feel overwhelmed, when we feel stressed out, when we feel worried, that we know God can handle this because he handled my sins. So what we're going to do right now, the the elders are going to come and pass out the elements of the bread and the cup. And and what I want us to do is, is again, I want us to take this time to reflect on God's provision of salvation. 
God's provision of, for our salvation, God's provision to overcome sin, to overcome death, to overcome hell, to overcome Satan, is proof of his love, is proof of his care, it's proof that he knows you. It's proof that he will care for you. So that you can trust him. These elements represent the body and the blood of Jesus. His life for us, his death for us, his blood shed for us. So what I want to do, what I want to ask you to do right now for the next few moments is just meditate on God's provision of salvation. Jesus' provision to save your soul so that you can trust him with everything else. Just bow your heads and meditate on that in these moments. as we continue to reflect and as Jesus encourages us to do, to remember, we have in our hands these two elements, the the bread. And this bread symbolizes, there's no power in these elements, but they do represent the power of God. And these elements represent, the bread represents the body of Jesus. It represents his substitution for us. That he took our place on the cross. He bore the weight of our sin He faced the wrath and the punishment from God. And he did that so that we could have his righteousness. That's what this bread represents. And then this cup, it represents uh, his blood that was shed for us. Ever since the beginning, that that there can be no remission or forgiveness of sins apart from the shedding of blood. And so what we can do now is remember that this blood, this cup represents the powerful blood of Jesus that wipes us clean, that wipes our sin away. And we stand righteous and justified before God. Let's pray and worship our Heavenly Father in Heaven who's provided these things for us. God, we, we thank you for Jesus. We're grateful that we can sit here today and reflect on the gift that Jesus was for us. God, thank you that you see us, you know us, you care for us. Thank you that you have provided for us through Jesus the fullness of your kingdom, the fullness of salvation, the fullness of righteousness. There's nothing else that we have to do or can do to make us right. Thank you for your love. And may you, may we worship you and reflect that that joy today in our hearts because of what these elements represent to us today. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. When Jesus took the bread, he broke it and said, this is my body for you. Eat it in remembrance of me. Let us partake.
And lastly, he took the cup. He blessed it. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink it in remembrance of me. Let's partake. I'd like you to bow your heads and close your eyes. As we finish our time here this morning, I just want to encourage you. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and we just talked about God's greatest provision for our greatest needs. And maybe you're sitting here this morning saying, I don't know if I have that kind of provision. I don't, my biggest problem of sin in my life, my, my feelings of separation from God, they're there and they're strong and I need to talk to someone about it. You, I, I want you to have hope this morning. And maybe the greatest anxiety you, you have is just the guilt you feel because of the sin in your life. And if you do have that, I want to encourage you, come talk to me, come talk to Pastor Dan. We have a prayer team out in the lobby with Red Lanyards that would love to help you and encourage you any way possible. Don't leave here today without talking to someone about your questions about God. Maybe, maybe you're just there right now, sitting here, and after everything we've said, you are still carrying a lot of things. I'm just going to give you this next few moments to say, God, you've got to carry this. I'm giving control of this issue to you. Will you do that right now? You might have to do that 25 times today and 50 times tomorrow. But we have to keep yielding control to the one who will control the outcomes and trust that he knows you and cares for you. Let's walk out of here with a sense of freedom and joy that God wants us to have. Father, I pray as we end our time here this morning that you would remind us that whatever we face this week and whatever we're facing right now that you have been there you're already present tomorrow you're already there in the outcome that we can't control and whether that outcome is is what we face in a week a month or a year we know that god there's nothing that we will face that we will face apart from the presence and the care and love of jesus and so, God, may we, may we stand up and sing a song in reflection of that hope and that joy that you want us to have. God, I pray over every person in this room that, God, if, if anxiety is choking the joy and choking the life out of anyone in this room or anyone watching this online, that, God, you would set them free by the power of Jesus Christ. We pray this in your precious name. Amen.